Thank you. Traffic jam. Traffic jam. Sweet. Thanks, Traffic. All right, what's up? Hey, I am pumped to be here. Yes, my name is Morgan Maitland, and uh, this is my alma mater. I used to serve at this church, work at this church, was married while met my wife at this church, married, had our first two children while attending Faith Bible Church members here, and then we had our third up at Summit Bible Church in Fontana. Sean mentioned the earrings. He does every single time he talks about me in any context. That I used to have earrings. I used to wear them in high school. I used to think I looked cool. Well, uh, it really, man, it's been tough with my kids because, uh, so there was a little boy at the park and the boy had earrings. And my son, Reagan, who's three, walks up to the little boy and says, boys don't wear earrings. <laughs> and then his older sister, Joelle, walked up right behind him and said, Daddy wore earrings. <laughs> done! Reagan was done. He walked away from the boy embarrassed and ashamed because his own father had broken the rule that boys don't wear earrings. Anyways, um, oh man, it's such a joy to come back and it's such a joy to see new people, new faces. Uh, even just being gone a year, I come back to college ministry and there's new people. That is good. That's a sign of a healthy ministry, a growing ministry that y'all who have been at Faith Bible Church are inviting people and bringing people in, and that some of you are coming to this church. I want to tell you, you found the right place. You can stop searching. Stop church searching. Stop looking anywhere else. If you live in that valley, Marietta, Temecula, Menifee, maybe some of you live as far as French Valley, maybe even Paris, right, or Hemet or something like that, that's okay. Uh, go to Faith Bible Church. Come to this college ministry, and you will be ministered to and you will come to at least understand what God's Word says. You'll come face to face with Christ as He's preached through the Scriptures. And we pray that you would come to know Him at this church. And you would grow in your relationship with Him here. So please stay at this church. Please invest into the relationships with these older godly mentors that you have. This is such a blessing. People that love college students and love the Word of God. And that's really all you need for an effective discipleship relationship. A love for God's Word and a love for people. And so, I'm so glad you're here. Wherever you came from, however you were invited, praise God you came to this place. And praise God that He is going to work through the book of Jonah. And so, uh, would you please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah? Uh, I hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to read a lot of Scripture. We're going to read through this entire book. It's four chapters. It's pretty short. And it, there is just so much good in Jonah. If you don't have a Bible, you can download a Bible app just as quick as you know you can download any app and follow along with us. Jonah is in the Old Testament. Isaiah is a pretty big book in the Bible, so if you're flipping through your Old Testament and you find Isaiah, go to the right of Isaiah a few books, and you will find Jonah, a small minor prophet. <clears throat> now... Jonah has some baggage. What comes to your mind when you think about Jonah? Maybe you've heard the story. Veggie tales. Veggie tales. Here's a kid who grew up in the church. 
Mom made him watch every Veggie Tale. Yeah, yeah. Um, anybody? Pinocchio. Pinocchio for Jonah. Pinocchio. Yep, Bobby. Okay. Pinocchio was swallowed by a whale, right? Similar to Jonah. Anybody read Moby Dick? Michelle. Oh, and then we got a gentleman in the middle too. Moby Dick, right? Uh, big epic battle between a whale and this sailor. I haven't read the book. I'm uh, I'm not as astute and scholarly as Michelle is. The book of Jonah. A lot of people think about a big whale because Jonah is that Bible character that was swallowed by the big fish or the big whale, right? So that's typically what people think about. They think about this big fish. They think about how could a guy live in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and survive? Did you know that is the reason why a lot of scholars actually doubt the historicity of this book? Because they can't get around scientifically that a guy could survive in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. And uh, to that I would say, that is really unfortunate. That's really unfortunate. First of all, because the greatest miracle in Jonah is not that a man survived three days and three nights in a fish. The miracle in Jonah is far greater than that. And in fact, there are greater miracles throughout the rest of Scripture. Try this. A man being buried and dead in the grave three nights and raising again on the third day, Jesus Christ, which the book of Jonah points forward to. So if you have a problem with Jonah surviving three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, you have bigger fish to fry. <laughs> oh, man, I thought that joke would land a lot better. <laughs> Anyways, we're getting there. The, the story of Jonah is not about a fish. It's not about a fish. It's not about a whale. Really, the fish and the whale are a prop in the play. It's really a means to an end. What if I told you that Jonah holds the greatest revival recorded in the scriptures? It does. Really, the worst evangelist of all time is used by God to ignite the greatest revival of all time. It's incredible. What if I told you that Jonah, and Bobby alluded to this, Jonah is one of the most honest and relatable characters in the Bible. We can relate with Jonah if we're honest with ourselves. Jonah does not make himself look good in this book. In fact, some doubt that Jonah wrote this book because he looks just so bad. He disobeys God and goes so far in his disobedience. But if we really look at our own hearts and lives, we relate to Jonah. We're a lot like him. We have gone far in our disobedience. He's a prophet that we can relate to. We can sympathize with Jonah. Jonah is also one of the greatest displays of the steadfast love of God. God's love is relentless in Jonah. He pursues, pursues, pursues. He saves. In fact, the theme of the book of Jonah is in the prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. So why don't you look down at your Bible. I want to just, I want to just set the stage for the theme of Jonah. It's in Jonah 2 and at the end of verse 9. So look down at your Bibles and, and read this phrase along with me as I, I read it aloud. Jonah 2.9. Here is the theme of the book. Here's the point of Jonah. It's that last sentence in verse 9. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. Write that phrase down. That sentence down. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's our theme. There's the theme of Jonah. God saves whoever, wherever, whenever, and however He wants. Salvation comes from God. It goes through God and to God. God gets all the glory and the credit. That is what Jonah is all about. And we're going to see that theme unfold through this story. Just in a remarkable and an incredible way. This book is so good for us, I want to tell you what it's going to do for you. The book of Jonah will teach us how to obey God. No matter the call, no matter the command, we, we must obey God. We must walk according to His Word. And I'll explain what that means as we go further. Jonah also teaches us what repentance is. Repent. That's a big, uh, that's a Christian word, right? A, a church word. Maybe a word some of you are unfamiliar with. What does it mean to repent? Jonah is going to show us what that looks like. He's going to illustrate it for, for us. Jonah teaches us to evangelize. If you're a believer here today, you must evangelize. After studying the book of Jonah, you've got to see the incredible power and sovereignty of God and salvation. And hopefully that would motivate you to go out and share the gospel with whoever you interact with. Because that brings us to the next point. Jonah teaches us to never say never. Never say never. I'm not quoting Justin Bieber there. All right? <laughs> Some of you were thinking it. You know, you might think that some people are past the reach of God. You might, you might be here tonight thinking you are past God's reach. You've, got, you've been so bad. You've sinned so greatly. You know somebody, you're thinking about somebody in your mind, there's like, there's no way that person can be saved by God. Think again. I want you to think again. There's nobody past the reach of God's mercy. And Jonah just highlights that truth amazingly. I want you to see that to, uh, as we go through this series. Jonah teaches us also to be honest about our sin. To confess our sin honestly. We relate with Jonah. Maybe you relate to Nineveh. Jonah and Nineveh both wear their sin on their sleeve. Jonah, the curse of the prophet or the Bible teacher is that what's in his heart comes out of his mouth. And what comes out of Jonah's mouth in chapter 4 is just downright ugly. It's ugly. It's bad. But Nineveh, this you know, country that's known for their wickedness and violence, they're wearing their sin on their sleeve. And you know, it's really important for us to be honest as we look at Jonah's life and look at the Ninevites and go, you know what, we're just scummy sinners too. We're all sinners. We all desperately need a Savior. Which leads us to the final point of what Jonah will teach us. Jonah teaches us the heart of God. God's heart beats red in Jonah. Oh, it blew me away in my personal study of this book. We can feel his pulse in this book. Despite a prophet's disobedience, despite a nation's wickedness, God bleeds mercy. He's patient. He is kind. And his steadfast love endures forever. Undoubtedly. 
as we see it displayed in this book. There's so much for us here. And uh, we're going to walk chapter by chapter, four chapters, four messages. I have a one-word title for each of them. And so the title of chapter one is Running. Running. And I'd like to read through the whole chapter if I could. And then we'll dive in. So please look at your Bibles, follow along with me. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help me this weekend to preach your word faithfully. God, I pray that you would release the hunter of heaven. And that he would collect his bounty here. 
I pray that you would unleash the word of God upon the hearts of these people. I pray for the students who have come just off of, in a whim. They, they just were invited last minute and they signed up and they're here. And Lord, you know why they're here. I pray that you would work on their hearts. I pray for the Christian here today. The Christian that needs to be stirred up by a love with a love for you and by your love. I pray that you would do that. And I pray for non-Christians here. I pray for the Pharisee who in their self-righteousness think that they're good enough to enter heaven. I pray that you'd break down that pride and save them. I pray for that sinner who recognizes that they need a Savior. They know it. I pray that they would turn to the Savior this weekend, trust in Christ, and be freed and be saved from their sins. Pray that you do that great work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's back up to the beginning. Point number one, if you're taking notes, God calls. God calls. You see right in the beginning, verse one, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now I said earlier that scholars will doubt the historicity of the book of Jonah because of the fish, and that's really dumb. Because... Right here in verse 1, we have historical evidence that Jonah was a a historical figure. He was a real person. Jonah was the son of Amittai. And in fact, if you had read another book, the book of 2 Kings, which is another book of the Bible that's a historical account of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, Jonah is mentioned. He's mentioned in that book. So if you, if you can flip fast, I'll read the verse for you, but go to 2 Kings 14. 2 Kings 14, verses 23 to 25, show us that Jonah was a real guy. And he lived at a, at a real time. And, and the context of the story is so important to understand the story. So 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25, I'm just going to read 25. He, and the he being referred to, is Jeroboam the second the son of Joash. He's a king in Israel, okay? Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by, guess who? His servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So we see in this historical account that Jonah was a real prophet, and he dwelled in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, let me set some historical context to to help you out. The events in in the book of Jonah likely happened in the 8th century B.C., between the years 800 and 750. And we're told that uh, Jonah prophesied under the reign of Jeroboam II. Now, who was Jeroboam? Here's the summary. He was not good. He was not good. He disobeyed God. He didn't honor Yahweh as God. And he didn't worship God. He was an immoral king. But, just because he was immoral didn't mean he was not successful. Jeroboam was a successful king. Or it appeared to be so. Economically, and even with the military, Israel seemed to be on the rise. The borders were expanding. So it looks pretty good. 
Jeroboam looks pretty good on the outside, but we're told in the scripture that he didn't honor God. And think about this. Jonah was a prophet who the word of God came through to expand the national borders of Israel. So you think Jonah is held in high regard in society? Oh, yeah. He's the prophet through which God spoke to expand the borders of Israel. Let me just tell you something. Kings love prophets that make them look good. (laughs) They love prophets that make them look good. And Jonah, up until this point, is a prophet that looks good. Now, Jonah has some friends, Amos and Hosea, who don't help the king look good at all. Okay, Amos and Hosea, other prophets who write books in the Bible that we have, they speak during the same time as Jonah, but guess what their message is? Judgment. God is going to judge Israel, the northern kingdom, for your disobedience and your immorality. Hosea, this really graphic book that describes the people of Israel as they worship idols, like they are committing adultery. They are, the word used is whoring themselves, worshiping other gods. And Hosea says, you will be judged for this. There's judgment coming in the future. Amos, a contemporary, writes of the social injustice in Israel. Israel was buying and they were selling slaves. They were oppressing and afflicting the poor. They were getting drunk with wine from their vineyards. They worshipped false gods, and Amos preaches a message of coming judgment. Now in Amos chapter 5, verse 27, we see a clue, a hint as to where this judgment is going to come from. God says, I will send you, the people of Israel, into exile beyond Damascus. Beyond Damascus. Now this is significant. Hosea said something very similar. What is beyond Damascus at the time of about 800 to 750 B.C.? Well, there is an empire that's looming and growing. And the empire was Assyria. Assyria. Assyria, God said, God prophesied through the prophets, would come and judge the people of Israel for their immorality. And they eventually did just that. In 722 B.C., we see Assyria come in, and they bring the people of Israel out, and they disperse them throughout the land. They ju- God did exactly as he prophesied he would do. But this is before that time, again, 800, 750 B.C. So this is a judgment that's coming in the future. Now, what, let's go back to Jonah. Verse 2, what was God's call for Jonah? He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Where is Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. In other words, Jonah, go into hostile enemy territory and call out against them. Wow, that's a big deal. That's a steep call. Now, who are the Assyrians? Let me describe them in one word. Ruthless. Absolutely ruthless and known for it. 
If you visit the Getty Museum in LA, which you can unless you're vaccinated and have a vax card, sidebar. Um, if you visit the Getty Museum, you can actually look at the exhibit online. You can see a whole exhibit dedicated to the Assyrian Empire. Now there are these stones called reliefs in the exhibit. And on these reliefs are engraved images recovered by archaeologists in and around Nineveh and Nimrod, another city there. And what's on every single one of these stones? What do you see? Images of violence on every single one of them. These stones were, you know, around the, the buildings and the temples and the, and the royal palaces to display the dominance of Assyria. And they would dominate through whatever means necessary. So you see pictures of Assyrian kings with their enemy's head on a platter. Or the enemy's head on stakes lighting their gardens. Or you'd see piles of dead bodies at the feet of their thrones. You'd see foreign rulers bowing down to the kings. And then there's a soldier, an Assyrian soldier behind the foreigner about to kill him. Brutal stuff. Brutal stuff. Brutal people. They were notoriously brutal Violent, wicked, and ruthless. In fact, God says himself, look at it, he says in verse 2, Their evil has come up before me. The stench of Assyria's wickedness has reached my nostrils. And I'm noticing. I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent to this call. Consider modern day Taliban with the military and economic power of China. That's who he's dealing with here. So let me ask you. The Lord comes to you and says, I want you to go to Kabul and call out against the Taliban. Would you do it? You might think twice, right? You might do exactly what Jonah does. What does Jonah do? Point number two. Jonah runs. Jonah runs. Look at the verse. Look at the next verse, verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Where's Tarshish? Tarshish on a map, most scholars would consider it to be this southern village in Spain. So I'm trying to okay. So, here's Israel, okay? Northeast is Nineveh. Okay, Gath Heifer's in Israel, right here. Joppa is exactly southwest of, of Gath Heifer, and Tarshish is way over here. So where did Jonah go? Exactly the opposite direction of where God wanted him to. Exactly the opposite way. Jonah went to Tarshish. you got to understand that disobedience is clear defiance. It's an act of clear defiance to God's command. This is a great picture for us of what disobedience is. It's not just, you know, a, a kind of a wrong turn, a little, you know, beat off the path. No, no, no. Disobedience is doing exactly what God commands you. Doing exactly... Doing... Not doing exactly what God commands you to do. But the author wants us to see something here. 
He says something three times in the text, and I tried to emphasize it as I read. I hope you picked it up. Who was Jonah running from? Three times. From the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah must have known the Psalms. He had to have. He's a prophet. So what about Psalm 139, Jonah? It says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Can anybody ever really flee the presence of God? No. God is omnipresent. He is all-present. It's everywhere. You can't run from God. So, and I believe, by the way, Jonah knew that. I believe Jonah knew that. So what is he trying to communicate to us when he says, I was running from the presence of God? He was trying to show us that disobedience is running from relationship. That running from the face of God, the favor of walking with his God, was breaking relationship with him. So you have to understand if you're here that your sin is breaking God's commands. It is breaking God's law. But it's not an impersonal transaction. Disobedience isn't, you know, like a, just a, a laundry list of things that you've done and like, okay, well, somebody's got to pay for that. No, no, I often said this, and I, I still say it to this day, sin is not just breaking God's law, sin is breaking God's heart. It affects relationship. There's distance. Jonah is not, Jonah is running from the presence of the Lord. A presence that, of favor, a presence of blessing, walking in the will of God. And he runs in clear defiance of that, in the opposite direction. Disobedience affects relationship. Lord, you want me to go that way? I'm just going to go this way. In fact, here's a letter of resignation from my position as a prophet. I'm leaving Israel, my land, my people, my heritage, and my religion and my God. Wow. I'm going to start a new life in a foreign land as far as I can get away from what you want me to do. Have you ever been there? Have you been there? When you know, clear as day, you are running from God. Not just running from a rule book. You're running from God. And you know it. I've been there. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all been there. Have you ever been in a position where you knew exactly what God wants you to do, but you did the exact opposite? That's sin. That's a disobedience. Maybe you just did it in your heart. Maybe it's a little more subtle than Jonah, but you're really, you're doing exactly what Jonah did. I mean, God's word is very clear. God's word says, do not be proud or arrogant. Do not be angry. 
Do not lust after someone who is not your spouse. Do not covet your neighbor's possessions. Do not lie to one another. Do not walk in darkness. Don't slander or gossip. These are commands we break every day. We know better, and we are no better than Jonah in our sin. Jonah illustrates what all of us have done. It's a great illustration of what disobedience is and where it leaves you. Disobedience is is running away from God's word and relationship, but disobedience also leaves you desperate and hopeless. The end of the path is desperate and hopeless. Jonah gives us a great illustration of that. One commentator makes this interesting observation. He said, you know, Jonah paid the fare to go to Tarshish. It was a lot. you got to understand, going traveling from one end of the Mediterranean to the other, it costs a lot of money. It was a big fare. But he paid it. And did Jonah get to Tarshish? No. So he lost all that money. He paid the fare, and he never got to where he was going. Now, the commentator writes this. This is the way of sin. This is the way of sin, student. You always pay the fare, and you never get to where you're going. But the way of God is the exact opposite. He pays the fare, and he'll make sure you get there. Let me say that again. The way of sin and disobedience is like this. You always pay the fare, and you never get to where you are going. Sin promises happiness. Sin promises pleasure. It promises relief. It promises satisfaction, and it never delivers. But the way of God is the exact opposite. He pays the fare, and he makes sure that you get there. And here's how he does it, student. He provided a sacrifice a way for you to be right with God. He did that through His Son, Jesus Christ. We all, like Jonah, have disobeyed God. We've all run away, going our own way. But God, being rich in grace and mercy and love, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross. He paid our fare. He paid the penalty for our sin. And He rose again from the grave. Sinner, if you turn from your wicked way and believe in Him for salvation, you'll be saved. Safe and secure in the arms of God. And you'll receive the joy, the pleasure, the satisfaction that you have longed for. That the temporary pleasures of this earth cannot give you, and only God can. So I exhort you to turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to Jesus Christ tonight, this weekend. Don't run as far as Jonah did in your sin. Well, how far did Jonah go? How far was he willing to go? Jonah was willing to go to death in his sin. The sailors find out that Jonah is running from God. He is the reason that the storm's hitting their boat, and they ask him, what are we going to do with you? That the sea may quiet down for us. What could Jonah have said? What could he have said? He could have said, turn the ship around. i got to go back. i got to obey God. I need to repent. I need to make things right. But Jonah didn't. What did he say? I still know a way that we can both win here. 
you could throw me overboard and I'll die. And the sea will quiet down and you'll be good. You gotta understand this is a suicide mission. Jonah said, in other words, kill me. I'd rather die than obey God. Wow. Even the sailors, they knew it would be murder. And they didn't want to be responsible for it. So what did they do? They tried to turn the boat around their own way. Right? They were like, okay, let's turn this thing around. We don't want to be responsible for this guy's life. But what happened? The storm got worse. Why? Why? Just because the boat had turned didn't mean Jonah's heart had. Jonah's heart was still stubbornly set, dead set in sin. And the Lord had not yet brought him to rock bottom. We'll see that in the next chapter. But you can just hear Jonah's prayer. And I wonder if you've ever been there. God, let me go. Let me go. I want this sin so badly. Would you just let me go? Have you been there? So stubborn, so dead set, so pridefully set. I'm not going to let the sin go. I'm not going to let the anger go. I'm not going to let the resentment go. The bitterness. I don't want to let go of the lust. I don't want to let go of the, the drug, the addiction. Just, Lord, You let me go. This is low. What would you have done with Jonah if you were God? What would you do with him? Are you letting Jonah go? Uh, He's a worthless prophet. He's disobedient to the point of death. He's dead set on running away from you, God. You could use any other prophet. In fact, why don't you send Hosea and Amos? They're willing to preach judgment. They'll go to Nineveh. What would you do with Jonah? I I mean, I think all of us honestly would say, we'd probably let him go. He seems done. Seems like he's a lost cause. But that's not what God does. Jonah runs. And ready or not, point number three, God pursues. God pursues. Now, every time I read this story, I look at the storm and I thought, oh yeah, this is Lord, the Lord chastising the prophet. This is punishment, right? This is what Jonah deserved. He deserved to be thrown off that boat. Deserved to almost die. Deserved to be swallowed by that scary fish. Right? And I read this over and over again, and I just see, no, no, this wasn't punishment. This was God's mercy. God stopped Jonah. And he pursued him. And you see it from the very beginning. He's running after Jonah. But the Lord. See, but, verse 3, Jonah rose to run. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. He hurls a storm to stop the ship. And the sailors freak out. Jonah doesn't. He's ready to die. But the sailors, they cast lots, which normally results in just a very random accusation, right? There's nothing powerful or spiritual in lots, but God used the lots. And they fell on Jonah. After an interrogation, they find out the real reason the storm is here. Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. What shall we do with you? Jonah says, ah, yes, you can 
kill me and throw me overboard, and then the storm will go away. And so the sailors try to take control of the situation. They're like, no, I'm not going to kill you. I'm, we're going back. We don't be, want to be responsible for your life. But the storm gets worse. Why? Because God didn't have Jonah's heart yet. And so eventually they go, fine, all right, we'll throw you overboard, Jonah. And they did, but Jonah still can't die. Because the fish scoops him up. Hebrews 12.6 says this, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Jonah was caught, stopped, and turned around, kicking and screaming, by the mercy and grace of God. You think the storm was too harsh? Think the fish was God's judgment? I see mercy. I see mercy, mercy, mercy. Can you think of people, circumstances, or events God used to stop you in your sin? To draw you back to Himself? Maybe God is using this very camp to stop you from going any further in your sin. For some of us, maybe we look back at that time and, man, the correction hurt. It hurt when we were stopped. It was embarrassing to be caught in our sin. Sometimes rock bottom is painful, yet it is bittersweet because God used that very person, that very event, to draw you back to himself. I was sitting across from a guy recently in our church, and he had been caught. Uh, he, was, he was essentially he was doing drugs at work and driving home all the way from Long Beach, high, and would come home, and his wife caught him high multiple times, and his wife threatened him, said, hey, you have to go tell the pastor, you have to go tell the elders, and he just wouldn't, and so finally, his wife got on the phone and called us. And so he sat down with this guy, sat down with this individual, and confronted him, confronted him, for habitually getting high, really driving high, driving under the influence, and really neglecting his family, his children, his wife. And he just shook, he stood there at the, at the beginning of the meeting and he shook his head and he was kind of stubborn. And uh, he's, I heard him say under his breath, oh, if I just wouldn't have got caught. And I said, praise God you got caught. Praise God. This is God's mercy on your life. What if he didn't? What if you, you hadn't got caught? You continue to drive high under the influence and you get in a car wreck. Or you kill somebody else. Or you go further and get hooked on heroin and, and you eventually kill yourself by the drug. Praise God you're caught. Praise God. This is God's mercy. Now you have an opportunity to repent and go back to Him. Students, I can think of a handful of times in my own life I wanted to sin so badly. I wanted to hide it. I didn't want anybody to know. I just wanted God to let me go, to let me have it. But He wouldn't. He just wouldn't. I think of the time that my mom caught me in sin. I think of the time that I was called out by a teammate as a hypocrite for seeing me at a church event, but acting a certain way on the football field. I think of the, of the time at the end of my senior year, watching sin ruin all the important relationships that I had in my life. It was embarrassing. The consequences of my decision were difficult to bear. The truth hurt. But thanks be to God, He is merciful. 
He's merciful to use these events, these people, to draw me back to himself. Oh, student, I wish you would see the mercy of God. I wish you'd see the mercy of God to even use a camp like this to call you out and say, hey, listen, you might be in sin. Repent now. Repent. You have to understand when the child of God runs, he pursues. He pursues. You want to know what judgment would have been for Jonah? Judgment for Jonah would have looked like a long, happy, successful life in Tarshish. Because what comes at the end of that life? Death. What comes after death? Judgment. If he had continued in his sin and not been in right relationship with God, he would have suffered eternal hell forever. And so, student, I pray that God would not let you go. And that you would respond to his pursuit, repent and believe in him. Now, you have to understand, I need to make this point in Jonah, that Jonah is not a license to sin. It's not a license to run. We don't want to presume on the riches of God's kindness and his forbearance and patience, not knowing, Romans 2, 4, that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Jonah eventually did turn. God dragged him, kicking and screaming, but he turned. So, we don't want to presume on the riches of God. We don't want to presume on His kindness. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, so you need to repent from your sin. Turn. But we are thankful of God's mercy that He continues to run and pursue and pursue and pursue us, even when we run so far in our sin. There's another character in this chapter that's often overlooked, and what happens to them is remarkable. It's at the very end here. Point number four, lastly, the mariner's worship. The mariners worship. Did you miss this? It's amazing. These superstitious, pagan, polytheists, and at the end of this chapter, they bow the knee and worship the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. Look at verse 16. Then the men, seeing all this take place, feared the Lord. That word, Lord, translated Yahweh exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. That's amazing. Remember where they were at the beginning of this chapter, verse 5? Each mariner cried out to his own God. And then look at verse 14. They called out, all of them, to Yahweh. One God. The one true God. In verse 5, they are afraid thinking that one of their gods had sent the storm. And then in verse 10, verse 10 it says they were exceedingly afraid because they found out that Yahweh was the one who sent the storm. And then in verse 15 or sorry, 16, they're not no longer afraid of the storm. Who do they fear in verse 16? They fear Yahweh. They fear God. They humble themselves and submit to the one true God. In a matter of minutes, maybe an hour, these men come to saving faith, evidenced by their fear of God, their sacrifices to Him, their commitment to obedience. They are gripped by the power, the sovereignty, and deliverance of God. What's the theme of this book again? Do you remember it? Salvation Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's exactly right. He saves whoever, whenever, wherever, 
however he wants. And he starts in chapter 1 with these sailors. They, the sailors even quote Psalm 115.3. At the end of verse 14, they say, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Romans 9. Just, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to God just, you know, hey, I'm working on Jonah right here, but bam, I'm going to save these sailors too. And then I'm moving on to the Ninevites. Verse 9, Romans 9 says, So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills. He hardens whomever he wills. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Why didn't God stop Jonah right away on the road to Joppa? Why didn't God, you know, make him hit a speed bump and his carriage breaks and, you know, different events take him back to the Lord? Why, why did he allow Jonah to go all the way to Joppa, pay the fare, get in the boat, and set sail? You'd say, well, you had to take Jonah to rock bottom, sure, but I say he did that to save these sailors. Because God saves whoever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, and however he wants. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Praise God for his relentless pursuit of us and even his salvation displayed in this book. I'm going to ask you before we close and we move Next time to the next chapter, have you experienced the unrelenting love of God, His pursuit of you? Have you repented from your sin and bowed the knee to Christ in the way that these sailors did? Have you embraced Jesus Christ as the only Savior, the ultimate way of deliverance? God's not done with Jonah yet. God's not done saving yet. There's more to come. Stay tuned. All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work through your word and cause students here to realize their sin, to turn from it, and turn to you for salvation. I pray for some students tonight who are thinking about that one sin that they've run so far in. They may be embarrassed by it, Lord. They may be um, even thinking, I don't know if I can be saved from this. And I pray that you break down those false lies. You'd show them the truth of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made, and that they would repent of that sin and believe in Jesus. And Lord, as we unfold what repentance looks like in this book and I pray that, Lord, you would work through your word and work in the hearts of all of us here to repent from our sin even daily and believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.